Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This is Ion Veterans Weekend, a roundup of the week's most important stories affecting those who served. Presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. There are nearly 20 million, 20 million military, military veterans, veterans in, in the U.S., US. Each week, we focus on their stories. Powered by ConnectingVets.com. This, this is CBS Eye on Veterans. Eye on Veterans. Welcome to another edition of CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Eye on Veterans is a weekly program focused on the men and women who have served our nation in uniform and their families. We're powered by ConnectingVets.com. Always a great place to find military news, veteran news, resources, and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This hour, we'll hear about the incredible things that some veteran organizations are doing to help us get through these uncertain times. Wounded Warrior Project is committing $10 million to help meet the immediate financial needs of our registered alumni who are in financial crisis. We'll talk about the coronavirus crisis on an aircraft carrier and hear why one former Navy officer thinks what happened is ridiculous. So he acted. That's what commanding officers do. I can't imagine General Patton not doing that or Admiral Nimitz. They absolutely would have. And a special forces veteran and journalist will reveal how China is blaming this all on the U.S. This is the next Tiananmen Square. I mean, it's happening and we are witnessing a historical event unfold in front of our eyes. That's ahead on CBS Eye on Veterans. Now, for years, we've known about the inspiration that comes from the Travis Mannion Foundation. Of course, it's dedicated to the first lieutenant, Travis Mannion, Marine Corps veteran who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom while on patrol in 2007 in Iraq. And recently, we've discovered that they're not only finding ways to inspire adults and veterans, but now children. And in response to the nationwide quarantine and school closings due to the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the nation's leading veteran nonprofit organizations, the Travis Mannion Foundation, has decided to adapt their Character Does Matter program to now be available online to give lessons to students who are going without school around the country. And here to talk to us about it is the Gold Star sister of Travis Mannion, Ryan Mannion. Ryan, how are you? 
I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Indeed. And uh, as we both sit at home uh, with schools closed and children abound trying to do some distance learning, this program is going to help them learn about something kind of unique and something you don't normally get in school. Tell me what you're doing with the Character Does Matter program. Absolutely. Well, our Character Does Matter program is something that we implemented several years ago where we actually train our nation's veterans to deliver character education to our youth. And we, to date, we've actually presented our Character Does Matter program to over 300,000 students across the country. And the idea is that there is no better example of what it means to live a life of service than our veterans who step up to serve. And so as they take off the uniform, we want to continue to ask them to serve. We want them to, we want to, we're saying to them, listen, you've taken off the uniform, but you still have so much more to give. And so when uh, the the coronavirus pandemic hit, uh, we were crippled. We had schools and youth groups across the country signed up to hear from our nation's veterans. And within 48 hours, we had turned it into a virtual program online uh, with resources and a curriculum for parents to be able to go onto the website, pull off the lesson plan, and every day at 1 o'clock, we bring a veteran into the home um, through Facebook Live to be able to talk to kids about a different character lesson Um, and things that are so applicable. You know, you think of the idea of what we're dealing with now. It's hard for for us to put our kids in front and say, focus on doing fractions in math and, and focus on science. And, you know, I mean, everyone is just in such a tailspin. But the idea is yesterday we had a gold star wife that, that presented, and I loved her story on gratitude. And she talked about how she had lost her husband five years ago while serving, and she was sitting there with her two young boys, and she talked about all the things she was grateful for in her life, even during this time of uncertainty. And those, I think, are messages that that not only kids, but all of us need to be hearing today. Yeah, very cool. What is the ideal age range for a kid? Because, I mean, mine at home right now range from like third grade to preschool. And you know, yeah. the preschoolers probably not going to get a lot out of, you know, the valor and the important messages that we can take from a veteran. But are these elementary school things? Or are these more for middle and high school things? I mean, we, we typically say that the average age range is like 12 to 18, but I'll tell you, my five-year-old was listening last week to a Navy veteran talk about appreciation of beauty, and the challenge that the veteran gave was to go out and, you know, take your mom or dad's phone if you don't have one yourself, and go outside your house and take pictures of things that you, that are beautiful. And as soon as we got off that, um, as soon as we got off that uh, learning experience, my five-year-old was like, Mom, I want to go take things, pictures of pretty things. So I think right now anybody can join in and get something from it. So I would, I would encourage you to try, you know, to have your preschoolers see how it goes. And in fact, I think for grownups too. I mean, let's face it, we could all use an ounce of inspiration right now in these times. And I've certainly loved covering the veteran angle for as many years as I have been doing these stories. And yeah, there's just something magic about the lessons and the stories that they share when they share these real life experiences of theirs. Uh, Share with me one of your favorite ones so far. I know you guys are a couple weeks into this. um, And I I guess I ask you to give me one of your favorites only in that I want to kind of itemize what 
these lessons sound like or what they look like because it's not just Jocko Willink reading, uh, you know, go dog, go, <laughs> go dog, go. The red dog is in the blue tree. Get, get up at four thirty and make not. it happen. No, I did text Jocko to see if he would deliver one of these. I, I haven't heard I, back yet. I but. want Jocko to do one of these. He's awesome. Yeah. But so what, what we do with the Travis Manning foundation we actually, um, our, our character program is the makeup of positive psychology. So positive psychology is actually a breakdown of 24 different character strengths. And so last week, we started with um, kindness, appreciation of beauty, humor, and hope. So those were like the four. We had or the first day, we had a Navy veteran who kind of gave an overarching um, talk about character in general. And what we do is we bring it all back to the five simple words that, that Travis said, my brother said before he left for Iraq, which was, if not me, then who? And he shared those words when he was asked why he had to go back for a second deployment. And so those five words are the inspiration behind everything we do with the Travis Manning Foundation. And no matter if we're talking about integrity or humor or um, teamwork, it all gets back to those five words. Because really what we're trying to instill in our nation's youth, and frankly, like you said, in everyone, is that each of us can wake up every day, no matter how small, no matter how challenging the times are, and every single one of us can have an if not me, then who moment. And so that's really, at the end of the day, what we're trying to instill. And if we can keep a positive spin on what's happening right now, we've done our job and making sure that, that, you know, for me, I've got three kids at home and I'm always very cognizant about saying like keeping, you know, I've had some down points in these last few weeks of just, I can't believe this is happening, but I'm always trying to keep it positive for my kids. So they understand that like, we will get through this. And when you add that extra element of our nation's veterans and, you know, and you listen to them talking about the tours that they served in Afghanistan and Iraq and, hey, at least we can run to the grocery store. You know, we were eating MREs and you kids get ice cream. We didn't get that. Like it put things in perspective very, very quickly and very easily. So very cool, Ryan. And it's two things I know we always get from the Travis Manion Foundation and that is insight and inspiration. And I just thank you so much for uh, doing that and for providing this, these lesson plans that can be found weekly. Tell me where I can get them and where I can see more about this Character Does Matter program. Sure. So you can go right onto our website, uh, travismannion.org, and right on the homepage, we have everything there, all our lesson plans, the curriculum, the videos are on there. But if you do have Facebook, our videos do air live every day at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, but if you don't have Facebook, you can catch them on our website. We, we put, post them up on there once we're done. So, and every day, a different veteran sharing a different story, sharing a different message about what it means to live a life of character. Mm, absolutely love it. And I have two people that are going to be watching them this afternoon behind me, it sounds like, as my <laughs> kids are making noise in the background. I can't thank you enough for taking this call, for taking the time to put this program together and for giving us something to inspire us each and every day. Ryan Mannion with the Travis Mannion Foundation. Thanks so much. Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. 
Now we're going to continue to look at things going on in the veteran community as they relate to this new coronavirus reality that we're all living in. And for some vets, there are programs that are absolutely essential. The ones like caring for our minds and our bodies and our souls. But when something like this massive disruption occurs, how do care providers deliver essential services? And now to answer that and show off just how agile a care provider can be, I'm joined by retired Lieutenant General Mike Linnington, the CEO of the Wounded Warrior Project. General, great to talk to you again. Bill, great to be on, and thanks for having me again. Indeed. Now, talk to me a little bit about um, how you guys are responding to this, because I know as CEO, it's got to be difficult for your organization to transition from in-office to remote work. And as you guys are dealing with this, did you have technology in place to do that? Well, luckily, Phil, we did. And thanks for asking the question. I mean, caring for the mind, body, and souls of our wounded, ill, and injured service members is our mission. And uh, luckily, we had the the technology in place to continue to serve them in ways that uh, met their needs. Um, And we've really taken on the challenge in really incredibly innovative ways to keep them connected. And I think that's really the most important thing is how do we keep our uh, wounded veterans connected, connected with each other, um, connected with the programs and services Wounded Warrior Project provides, and then connected with other programs and services, other uh, veteran service organizations, the VA, to help meet their needs. And now exactly how did that look? I mean, is it like telehealth? Is it Zoom meetings? I know with Project Odyssey, there's a lot of face-to-face. You know, there's where Wounded Warrior representatives share time and moments face-to-face with the warfighters. How are you guys achieving that now? Let me just give you a couple quick examples. First of all, keeping our warriors connected um, with each other in virtual environments versus physical environments is it's it's important. It's, it's certainly not a replacement for those face-to-face engagement, but it's uh, it's essential. And whether that's uh, virtual peer support group meetings on Zoom on the Zoom platform, um, whether that's uh, Operation Check-in, a new program we just initiated where we have 500 of our uh, employees, teammates, calling uh, tens of thousands of warriors and family members just to check in on them and making sure that as they're maintaining their social isolation, they're doing okay. Uh, We have online physical health and wellness challenges that we're doing that include at-home workouts um, uh, streamed virtually with household items in place of gym equipment. We're pitching nutrition classes, cooking classes, of course, all of our signature programs that are already done telephonically, like our Wounded Warrior Project talk program, our benefits counseling that goes on to help veterans uh, gain their VA benefits, employment efforts, Warriors to Work efforts, those have always been available virtually, and they remain unaffected. We're really now taking all the things we did face-to-face and just doing them virtually, telephonically. And I, I will tell you, um, Phil, we've got arguably as good or, or better contact with some of our warriors now that they're locked in their homes uh, than we had even before we started this difficult period. Um, but, but we're continuing to find ways to keep them connected and then utilize outside resources. The VA has established um, telehealth options um, for veterans. Um, many of our telehealth, uh, some, many of our um, mental health programs have been transitioned to telehealth as well. And then partners are doing programming as well that we're leveraging our partners as well. And there's something so powerful about being able to even pick up a phone and just have somebody on the other end that cares or somebody that gets you and understands and and, and just to be able to share that moment. Uh, that's huge. 
Uh, I know how this is affecting my own family members. And, you know, I mean, it makes moms and grandmoms worried and they just tend to worry all day long. Uh, what is it are the needs of the wounded warriors right now? Well, the biggest need is actually financial. I mean, we have, um, when, when we initiated Operation Check-In and as we're doing these wellness calls, we're finding that um, the, the significant stress of isolation and the, the anxiety that comes with that is, is multiplied by some of the financial stress that many of these um, wounded veterans, family members are going through. And it's for all the reasons you can probably expect uh, loss of loss of jobs, part-time or full-time jobs, um, loss of spouse employment, uh, and sometimes just a uh, inability to, to, to get out and do things that were routine beforehand loss of caregiver support where caregivers um, that would come to the warrior's house every day and help, help for their activities of daily living. Many of those caregivers are now isolated from the warrior's homes. So the normal stress that comes with isolation and perhaps mental health issues are exacerbated by financial stress that come with loss of income. So we're working through that with our financial programs and many of our partner programs as well. But those are, those are things that we've just got to work through on a case-by-case basis with our warriors to make sure we're meeting their needs, both mind, body, and spirit. And in fact, we've got something we're going to discuss here in just a minute uh, that's really huge about how you guys are addressing some of those financial needs. But before I get to that, you know what I found out kind of interesting, especially among the combat veterans, that they have experience that's valuable in coping with COVID-19. Share with me a little bit about what you're telling veterans on how to adjust to the new normal. You're exactly right. Um, all, of, all of our uh, alumni, certainly, and, and all 20 million veterans across the country have been through difficult times. Uh, they've faced the enemy and they've defeated the enemy. Uh, this enemy is an invisible enemy, um, but it's an enemy that you know requires everybody's best effort. So, uh, I think just reaching back in those same areas that, that uh, um, brought you strength when you were in uniform, uh, I call them the pillars of resilience. You know, reach back to those same uh, pillars of resilience, whether it's um, physical fitness, getting out in the environment, doing things in nature, eating right, sleeping well, um, volunteering, volunteering where you can, uh, maintaining spiritual connections, if, if that's an area that you get resilience from, and 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 having each other's back. Um, we vote. We have a saying in the military, as you know, "I've got your six or I've got your back." Uh, many of our warriors are building their own resilience by connecting with other warriors that are in isolation and having each other's back and just talking things out. So, I think military experience. To answer your question, military experience really does help our veterans certainly cope with the isolation and the stress that comes with the COVID-19 virus. And it's just so powerful to say aloud too, you know, like a lot of combat warfighters have been through some tough stuff and now the tough stuff is upon us. Hey, nobody's better equipped to do this than uh, those that raised their hand and served. So uh, it's just good to hear that and to remind ourselves of that. And there's also some great news that I heard about with respect to Wounded Warrior Project's ability to help make a difference in those veterans' lives who are having some financial challenges. And this was huge news, by the way. Share with me what you guys did earlier this week. Uh, and thanks for bringing that up, Bill. As we, as we conducted our operation check-in calls and stayed connected with the Warriors, we found more and more of our uh, registered wounded warriors 
uh, wounded ill and injured service members reaching out for economic help. I mean, not only has this been a health uh, crisis across the country, it's also been a financial crisis in the lives of many of our uh, nation's veterans. Um, as we received many, many uh, requests for financial assistance, uh, with the support of our board, Wounded Warrior Project is committing $10 million to help meet the immediate financial needs of our registered alumni who are in financial crisis due to the coronavirus pandemic. And really, it's the time that, you know, all the chips got to go into the middle of the table. So we are going to uh, reach out to all of the tens of thousands of registered Wounded Warrior alumni that we serve, uh, get some information on their financial needs, and we are going to be uh, awarding grants of $1,000 to the first 10,000 or the top 10,000 with needs in the areas of groceries, utilities, rent, mortgage payments, whatever the, whatever the veteran and or their family will validate. Again, this is a limited program for the registered alumni that we serve. But we hope to get support from outside organizations and individuals that want to match that financially, whatever is in their means to do so, and then expand the program beyond the first 10,000 that we're serving to many, many more thousand beyond that. Indeed, General. I can't thank you enough for your time and uh, the Wounded Warrior Project, man. Drive forward and uh, stay safe. Thanks, Phil. Have a great day. Now you can find out more about these incredible programs at WoundedWarriorProject.org. And stick around. We'll find out more about what happens when the coronavirus hits an aircraft carrier and what veterans have to say about it when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, I found this next story interesting, not because of its effect on veterans, but because so many vets I know have some serious opinions about it on social media. See, I'm talking about the CEO of the USS Theodore Roosevelt. You know, the aircraft carrier that had the sailors aboard that had the coronavirus. And his cry for help. And the fact that he was quickly relieved of his command after his cry for help went public. And then there was the leaked audio of the Secretary of the Navy, who flew all the way to Guam just to get on the ship's 1MC and talk smack about Captain Crozier. And he was A, too naive or too stupid to be the commanding officer of a ship like this. And then there was the part of the story where the SecNav, after all this was said and done, resigned. A lot of evolutions of this ongoing story, and here to help us discuss them and show us what some of the vets are saying online, is ConnectingVets.com national security reporter Libby Howe. Libby, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Really good. And as noted there in the lead-in, uh, yeah, what's going on with this USS Theodore Roosevelt? And share with me a little bit about what you've seen, what you've reported on. So this has been a nutso historical roller coaster since the very beginning. So the USS Theodore Roosevelt starts reporting COVID-19 cases on board. Problematic because everyone who's been on a ship knows you can't social distance. It's going to spread quickly. Within a week, Captain Brett Crozier has sent a letter to the Department of the Navy pleading for help. He's asking that everyone except for 10% of the crew be evacuated. He's asking for testing. He's He's saying sailors don't need to die. It was a rather dramatic letter, four pages long. And of course, it was leaked to the media. And so the media gets their hands on it and it blows up. A couple of days later... Acting Secretary of the Navy, Thomas Modley, relieves Crozier of duty. He relieves Crozier of duty, saying that he jumped the chain of command. He betrayed Modley himself. 
and kind of created a media firestorm for the Department of the Navy. And then Modley shows up on the USS Theodore Roosevelt, talking to sailors through the PA system, saying things like Crozier was too stupid to be in charge of this ship. And of course, a sailor on board, purportedly, was recording that speech and also leaked that to the media. And thanks to our friend and fellow veteran Paul Zoldra over at Task and Purpose, we've got a clip of that audio. It was my opinion that if he didn't think that information was was going to get out into the public, in this information age that we live in, then he was A, too naive or too stupid to be the commanding officer of a ship like this. So the actual coronavirus situation on board the vessel hasn't really improved that much either. They are getting the testing, which is important, but in this kind of political firestorm among higher ups, there's still sailors on that ship. All right. Well, as an aircraft carrier veteran myself, I can say that the last thing you'd want is a disease running rampant across your ship. But this has so many other things going on. And now that you've kind of laid out the timeline first, let's talk about the initial letter. Four pages long sent to the secretary of the Navy. How did it get leaked? So Modley said from the very beginning that we will never be able to prove how this got leaked. He has said several things that insinuated that Crozier leaked it. I also don't know how we would ever prove who leaked it because the email was sent, the letter was sent on an email chain with 20 to 40 people. We don't really know how many people were on the original email chain. And any of those individuals could have leaked it over to the San Francisco Chronicle. Hmm. I guess I'm torn. Look, I want, I want a CEO to take care of its sailors. You know, that's nice. That feels good. Everybody loves that. But let's face it, man. I mean, you can't have CEOs operating outside chains of command because then that makes military commands like the corporate world. Oh, I want to go work for Captain So-and-so because he gives ice cream on Fridays. Or I want to work at that command because they only work four days a week or they have nap pods. Military ain't like that, man. So I reached out to an expert I can trust. My old boss the former public affairs officer of the aircraft carrier USS John C. Stennis, retired Lieutenant Commander Walter Reed. Well, I'm not sure that all of the particulars are actually publicly known. There's a whole lot more to this story than we probably know at this point. But but my initial take on this was, with my experience, you know, 21 years in the Navy, seven of it was enlisted as a yeoman who did a lot of typing of letters for commanding officers before that, was that uh, obviously there's lots of ways of communication. And I think that the CO, his number one responsibility, of course, is mission accomplishment. And that, that's number one. And number two is safety and well-being of the crew so that he can affect that mission accomplishment. So he was probably at wit's end. He probably res, res, reported through um, classified channels the situation. You know how it is. Situation sit reps every day going out. What's your readiness for, for mission accomplishment? That has to be reported every day. That's obviously been reported in the classified communications. And Obviously, he felt that sufficient action wasn't being taken and was jeopardizing his crew. That's interesting. And I guess I didn't I didn't consider the fact that there were sit reps every day so that that four page letter was probably not the first communication explaining the situation of the ship. Operational units have to report to readiness every day. You remember that from the commanding CIC. You remember that, don't you? And, uh, you know, obviously, 200 people coming down with that virus. Disabling virus is an impact to readiness. So absolutely that was reported. There's no question about that. What, what do you say to somebody that says it's all about chain of command and it's not about his personal uh, I feelings? I think that's a politically correct answer. 
I think that's a, that's a, somebody who's never served and had command that would say that. It's not it's not somebody that's responsible for the safety and well-being of their crew who's being ignored. Well, meanwhile, a virus is spreading, okay? He didn't have time on his side. This is not a normal situation, not in any sense of the word. And he acted. And, you know, I, I think Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, the people they ought to be looking at is who, who, who didn't handle his first communications in those situational reports of the readiness of the ship. Who didn't act on those? Why didn't they move, you know, move Helen, you know, whatever, move everything they needed to move to, to assist them to get them at least able to get some decent space, this personal space stuff that we all have to deal with. Why didn't they act so that he could implement that? They're on a carrier. He was in a corner, okay? And if he didn't act, more sailors were going to be impacted. So he acted. That's what commanding officers do. I can't imagine General Patton not doing that or Admiral Nimitz. They absolutely would have. And in fact, the namesake of the ship probably had some strong words for uh, leadership that he didn't always agree with. The late, great Teddy Roosevelt. Yes, walk softly and carry a big stick. Okay, well, the commanding officer tried to walk softly with the, probably the classified communications, and when that didn't work, okay, what do you do? You have to take an action. What about the ability to move ship's company off into an area like Guam? I know we have a base on Guam, but Why like- didn't that? That's, I think that's what his complaint was. I mean, that's what wasn't happening. I think that's what the whole thing behind it was. They got him to Guam, but they were still leaving him on the ship. But if you had the crew of an aircraft carrier, you know, several thousand people in ship's company, would it be safe to move them into local hotel rooms? Well, you're talking supply things. I don't I don't really know what's available in Guam, but you could certainly you know how the weather is in Guam. It's not cold. You can get them off the ship. (laughs) There's there's things that could have been done. And uh, I I guess personal question here is, uh, would you have trusted Petty Officer Elder Clark and myself in a hotel room in Guam for a couple days? What's a little regulation liberty, huh? (laughs) Now, as you can hear, my former boss in the Navy was easy to understand. Never a question what was on his mind. Commander Reed went on to become a history teacher, and he shared with me that while teaching those classes, he uses a Mel Gibson movie to illustrate the point that's actually very similar to the situation with the Roosevelt. If anybody's ever seen the movie We Were Soldiers about the Vietnam War, about Mel Gibson plays a character where he, he's being overrun in a battlefield and he makes a decision to, to call Broken Arrow because his unit was being overrun. They were all in risk, all at risk of being killed. Well, Captain Crozier, his command was being overrun by a virus. And so by taking the action that he did, it, in his own way, that's Broken Arrow. Okay, he, he needed assistance. I mean, he needed all the resources he could get because this was a crisis, and he, he felt like it was he was losing control of it, the situation. And uh, yeah, he shouldn't be faulted for that. That's a judgment call made in in a moment in an operational environment where that was the tool he needed. So, in my opinion, he was 100% justified in what he did. Now stick around because we'll go from talking about how the coronavirus pandemic has affected the U.S. military to talking about how it could be creating war between the U.S. and China. We'll get a fascinating take from Special Forces veteran and global journalist Jack Murphy when CBS Eye on Veterans continues.
Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, as we all get used to this new normal, this coronavirus pandemic era we live in, we're wearing masks to the grocery store. We're pumping gas with gloves. We're bathing in Purell and hand sanitizer, and we're doing everything we can to stay safe, including no longer seeing each other face to face. It is obvious we are at war against a virus. But there's another war secretly going on and has been going on. And it's with China. Now I'm going to share with you the words of ConnectingVets.com correspondent Jack Murphy, who's also a former Ranger and former Special Forces, and a global journalist who's covered events around the world. And what he wrote about recently was a real eye-opener. While the White House press corps grills President Donald Trump about his use of the term China virus to describe COVID-19, the Chinese government has been hard at work attempting to deflect attention away from itself and redirect it towards the Western world, according to some American analysts. The Chinese state-owned Xinhua News Agency openly threatened that if there was any retaliation for the outbreak of the virus, that China would retaliate by banning pharmaceutical exports so that, quote, the United States would sink into the hell of the novel coronavirus epidemic. So more with this story now is Connecting Vets reporter Jack Murphy. Jack, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you doing, Phil? Really good. And I appreciate your kind of global perspective. This story is really kind of scary because it talks about a political war that could be going on even while we're trying to deal with this coronavirus pandemic. Talk to me about what you've researched and what you've learned. Well, I think that the gist of the story is that China is trying to advance propaganda narratives as a form of political warfare against the United States. Uh, the Chinese Communist government has really gone to great lengths over the last few decades to portray a certain image of themselves. They see this century as being the Chinese century, that this is their time to become a global hegemon and replace the United States as a global superpower. And in the midst of all of that, the coronavirus has sort of turned into a watershed moment for them because while they try to portray themselves as this perfect, harmonious society, the COVID-19 virus incubated and spread and killed a huge number of their citizens. And the Chinese government's response was to cover it up, to try to hide it, disappear their citizens, to weld them into their homes, to shut down the media, to silence journalists or doctors who spoke out. And because of that, the rest of the world, whether it was Italy, Iran, or the United States, did not have the ability to anticipate or to fully anticipate what they were about to get hit with. And that leads us into the situation we're in today, where a lot of people uh, around the world are looking for answers. And as they begin to realize what has happened to them and to their countries and to the global economy, their anger, in some senses, turns towards China. And the Chinese government is kind of going into overdrive to advance counter-narratives, in other words, to spread lies that this virus is the fault of our own leaders rather than the fault of the Chinese communist government. You wrote about one in particular that they are telling people that the coronavirus is actually the U.S.'s fault? So the Chinese government has been trying to advance the narrative that the uh, coronavirus is an American-made biological weapon. Now, I've talked to a whole bunch of different people. I've talked to doctors. I've talked to uh, an ex 
expert in biological weapons that worked at the Central Intelligence Agency. And there is a, a consensus, not just in a, amongst American officials, but amongst global health officials, that this was not a biological weapon, Chinese or American or otherwise, that it was not engineered in the lab. It's naturally occurring. But the Chinese communist government is advancing this narrative that the U.S. Army engineered this virus and intentionally spread it in Wuhan way back in 2019 uh, as a weapon against China. Um, and some of the propagandists, some of the conspiracy theorists have advanced this narrative actually using a, a, an article that I wrote way back in October of 2019. It was one of my first stories for Connecting Vets, and it's a story about a, uh American Sergeant First Class, a soldier, who was in Wuhan participating in a bike race. Uh, her name's Benassi. And um, she completed this bicycle race in Wuhan near the uh, uh, Wuhan's East Lake was where the race took place. And uh, she got knocked off her bike and she hurt herself, but got back up and completed the race. And, you know, she says, you know, I couldn't breathe because she was in a bike race. She fell off her bicycle. She hit her head on the pavement. And she and, and just I, I mean, quite naturally, she was short of breath. And the conspiracy theorists jumped on this and said, see, see, this is the proof she had symptoms of COVID-19 uh, back in October of 2019. And this is their quote unquote evidence that um, she was a carrier. But this is the beginning of the propaganda narrative. And once those narratives seep into the mainstream, um, once they get repeated enough times on social media, they become accepted by truth by many people. I realize that with China trying to create a narrative that says, hey, this isn't our fault. It's the big bad Americans fault. Like it makes sense, right? Like your own country, you want your people to think they love you. They hate everybody else. But I guess I maybe underestimate the danger of global propaganda. Could this affect the prices of things to come when we start looking at how reliant we are on China for the manufacturing of everything from like our kids swim trunks to uh, microchips for iPhones? Well, as far as the trade wars go, I think we were already heading well down that road before the virus outbreak. Um, you saw that brewing between uh, the Trump administration and the Chinese government. The larger picture is that this is a battle between two competing systems, between Western liberal international order, uh, Western democracy, if you will, and China's authoritarian panopticon state. They are saying that their model for governance is better than America's. Is there any chance that their narrative could take hold in other countries and people believe that we're really the dirty birds? There is always going to be an audience for that sort of information um, that wants to believe it's true regardless of the facts. I don't think it's going to take hold the way they want it to. And I think that this COVID-19 outbreak really will be a watershed moment for the Chinese government. It's going to test them and test their resolve in a way that we haven't seen previously. And I think that in the end, they're going to end up with two black eyes over this. I don't think the world at large is going to believe their narrative. And here is something that I'm going to lay on you uh, based on uh, a source that I spoke to um, as far as what the American intelligence community has assessed. And their assessment is that the number of dead in China is about 100 times greater than the numbers that the Chinese government is recording or reporting, I should say. Now, that puts you well into over a quarter million dead people 
from the coronavirus in China alone. Those warehouses, they, they said they were hospitals. They were really just warehouses that the Chinese government built where they stuck people to die. I mean, when you really think about the full scope of this, we're going to feel the reverberations for years to come, if not decades to come. This is the next Tiananmen Square. I mean, it, it's happening and we're, we are witnessing a historical event unfold in front of our eyes. Now, there's no doubt we're living through one of the most significant eras in the world's history. So do what you can do to stay safe and take care of each other. I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll be back for you next week with more great stories about more incredible veterans when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Eye on Veterans Weekend has been presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. Choose from 90-plus programs and specializations to accelerate your military or civilian career and find out how our dedicated military and veteran advisors can help you navigate your benefits to save you time and money. University of Maryland Global Campus. Find out how we're made for you. Visit umgc.edu. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.